Okay, have you, uh, I shot you this this week, I don't know how many of you read my weekly tease, but uh, I'm going to kind of tell you the story behind that weekly email. Have you ever tried to be cool or smart and look a certain way? Specifically, have you ever tried to use a fancy word, a word you thought you knew what it meant, but you didn't, and it turns out um, just to be embarrassingly and painfully wrong? Nobody. <laughs> just, just me. Now, I've done this. Some of you I know right now are going, that's no breaking news. You do that up there every week, which I understand I probably do. That is the humbling reality of regular public speaking. Uh, and I have done that on more than one occasion, but I was reminded uh, a couple weeks ago about a particularly embarrassing one. My parents had very good friends um, when I was a kid. For privacy purposes, we're going to refer to them in the story as Carl and Rose. We called them Uncle Carl and Aunt Rose, and they were wonderful people. We spent lots of time. We'd go to each other's house, went on vacation together, and uh, until one day, uh, what appeared to have been from the outside, the happiest of marriages broke up. And my childlike innocence was shattered a bit when I found out that my Uncle Carl had left Aunt Rose for another woman who we'll call, um, for these story's purposes, Felicia. <laughs> Felicia got a laugh. <laughs> now, as you can imagine, there was a lot of controversy and pain surrounding what had happened you know, to, to Aunt Rose and specifically around Felicia. And some, some time went by, and one day my Uncle Carl was bringing now his new wife, Felicia, to meet our family. And yes, it was going to be awkward uh, for us, for, for the kids, and I'm sure it was going to be awkward for, for Felicia. But my dad wanted very much to maintain his relationship with my Uncle Carl, so we pressed ahead. And now my dad's plan was um, to bring them into the house it would, it would, once we got past the awkwardness, maybe there'd be some healing and our family's relationships would go forward. And although I was kind of still upset and hurt, I got it. I was on board with the plan. So on board, in fact, I decided that when I was introduced to Felicia, I would try to make her feel even more welcome. And so what I wanted to say uh, was, nice to meet you, Felicia. We've heard so much about you. I thought, well, that could be interpreted the wrong way. Um, so in an attempt to be witty, um, uh, and maybe, maybe more welcoming, I said, oh, this is, well, I thought I would say, this is the famous Felicia that I've heard so much about. That probably wasn't the best idea either, because it actually got worse. In an attempt to be even more kind and welcoming, I thought, well, there's only one word greater and more welcoming than famous. So what I actually said was, oh, this is the infamous F F Felicia. Now, in case you're like me, by way of background, famous, you can look this up, famous means well-known, prominent, or popular. Infamous, which I thought meant even more than famous, <laughs> turns out, this is the definition right from Webster, well-known for some bad quality or deed, notorious, disreputable, wicked, or abominable. <laughs> Felicia cried... It wasn't good. The peacemaking summit got off to less than a rousing start, and it was all because I thought I knew something that I really didn't, and my arrogance and its resulting ignorance led to some damage and some hurt and some pain. Welcome to attitude adjustment. 
Paul, some of you know him by the name of St. Paul, maybe if you're from a different religious tradition. Paul, who, as Tim said, wrote a little bit more uh, than half of what we know as the New Testament. He planted a church in his missionary journeys in a city called Philippi, and he writes to this church that he planted about their attitude, and he tells them, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And what's that attitude? Who, although he existed in the form of God, he didn't regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the goal during this series, Attitude Adjustment, is, is to stop spending so much of our time trying to change our circumstances, which we can't control. You know, we spend so much time working on getting them just right, but we can't control them, and oftentimes life throws us curveballs. But instead, to at least try to spend as much time working on changing our attitudes to be more like the attitude of Christ, which allowed him to come and suffer and die for us, so that no matter what our circumstances, we can find the peace and the contentment of Jesus we were supposed to have. We just talked about it, right? Jesus, who had every reason to be proud, was humble. Me, based on the Felicia incident alone, me, who has so much reason for being humble, I struggle with pride. See, I thought, I really did think I knew what, or thought I knew what infamous meant. Turned out I didn't, and my arrogance led to my ignorance, which led to lots of pain. And that Felicia story is funny, and the pain wasn't that big a deal, really. Felicia got over it over time. But here's the question. What happens when I presume that I know how to love my wife? I know how to love my wife. But what happens when it turns out I don't? I mean, how, how would I? I mean, what, what pain does that cause? What happens when I think I know? I mean, I assume I know how to parent my kids. I mean, I had them. But what if it turns out I don't know how to parent my kids? And they spend 18 years under this. I mean, the counseling bill that could come out of that is substantial. And for those of you here this morning that are interested in in trying to follow God, what happens when I presume to know how to follow Jesus, and I presume I know what he wants and how to live, and I don't? What are the blessings I miss out of? What are, what are the spiritual, what are the eternal repercussions of, for me when I get that wrong? See, Paul is sitting, he's writing this letter, he's chained to a Roman guard. Circumstances are terrible, but he writes what's called this book of joy because of his attitude. And then he says, let me recommend an attitude to you. He says, I commend to you the attitude of Christ Jesus that you drop an attitude of pride and assume a more humble one. And as we've seen over the last couple of weeks, some of you are very rich because of your cynicism jars. Can I get an amen? (laughs) As we've seen over the last week, pride pride leads to entitlement and to cynicism. Today I want to show you an attitude um, that, that pride also leads to something. It's an attitude the writers of the scriptures would refer to as an unteachable spirit. Because our pride has led us to believe that we know it all. Proverbs, oftentimes called the book of wisdom, is a a book right kind of in the middle of your Bible in the Old Testament. Here's what the writer of Proverbs said about this. He said, good friend, don't forget all I've taught you and take to heart my commands. They'll help you to live a long, long time. A long life lived full and well. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Let me repeat that one more time. 
Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who'll keep you on track. Don't assume that you know it all. Proverbs 26 says, Do you see a man who is unteachable and wise in his own eyes and full of self-conceit? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And maybe even more plainly in Proverbs 28, when the writer says, If you think you know it all, you're a fool for sure. Real survivors learn wisdom from others. See, sometimes for, for us there's this pride issue and we think we, have, we, we, we know things that we don't. And, and so we take on an unteachable spirit. We know better. We know more. We're the best. We're the brightest. And again, we've talked about it. Morris County, New Jersey, on the relative scale of humanity, we are the best and the brightest. I get that. We're some of the most educated people in the world. But that does not mean we're wise. You're not born wise, and you don't get wisdom through a formal education. You get wisdom through a daily and lifelong process of growth. And from a Christian worldview, that growth comes from a daily, lifelong process of walking with Jesus. Various disciplines are part of that Bible study, prayer, service to God, mission. But this morning, I want to show you one more profound way to combat and overcome an unteachable spirit and limit the carnage and hurt we leave in the know-it-all wake. Paul, sitting, writing to the church, chained to the guard. He says, I want to share with you what's driving me, what my passion is, why I haven't given up. And he sums it up this way. He goes, do you know what I want? I want to know Christ. That's what I want. To know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings. Why? Becoming like him in death, so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to be like Jesus in the good and the bad. But then, interestingly enough, to a people that think they know it all, Paul writes, not that I've already obtained all this or I've already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Then he says it again, just so we don't miss it. Listen, guys, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining toward what's ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The man that many people over the last two millennia have referred to as St. Paul says, I'm not there yet. He wrote right above this, if you know the letter of Philippians, right above that quote, he writes out his resume, his achievements, his education, where he's been, what he's done. And by the world standards, he did know it all. But he goes, I'm not there yet. I I consider that all trash relative to to the surpassing knowledge of, of Jesus. And so he says, that's the goal. That's the prize. I don't know it all. I'm not there yet. And then the next verse, he says this. All of us, then, who are mature, we should all take such a view of things. All of us who are mature and not fools should have this kind of humility and teachability. Paul's recommending to us both a goal, Christ-likeness, and an attitude, the same attitude Jesus had of humility. I haven't arrived. I've got more to learn. And so then Paul gives a prescription for everyone who's mature, that isn't a fool, and understands that there's more growing and maturing that needs to be done. He says, here is how you do this. Join together 
in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. If you want to grow up and not be a fool and not be a child, if you're looking to perhaps leave a little less carnage in your know-it-all wake, if you care about your wife or your husband and your marriage and you want to learn what it is to love him or her, if you want to have some wisdom in how you're raising your kids, stop pretending you have all the answers. You don't. If you're concerned about your legacy, if you're concerned about your eternity, this is what you must do. You have to, I don't know if anybody's ever said this to you as strongly as I'm trying to tell you this morning, you have to look for an example. You have to find a model. You have to keep your eye on those who live as Paul, as Paul says, as we do. Study them, watch them. Now, if you think I'm overstating this, I'm not. In fact, in the very next chapter, in Philippians, he says, whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Stop studying just my words, but do them. Whatever I've told you, do. Whatever you've seen me do, go do what I'm doing. He lays out a very powerful concept, biblical concept for wisdom and for change. Now, some of you might say, I thought we were supposed to fix our eyes on, on Jesus. And that's true. The writer of Hebrews says that. But biblically, it is not an exclusive idea. Paul brings perspective to this when he writes to another church. And, and, and he says it even more plainly here. He writes to a church in, in Corinth. He goes, follow my example. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul's teaching on modeling and mentoring is recommended by so many of the followers of God over the centuries who wrote these books we've collected into the Bible. They discovered a principle that worked and they recommended it to those who wanted to not be a fool. Peter, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders and all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. They might know more than you. The writer of Hebrews, remember, he's the one that said, fix your eyes on Jesus. He also, in the same letter, said this, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God? And here's what he said, I love this. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Paul taught Timothy this principle. And then Timothy, he writes a letter, and what does Timothy say? He says, what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Model, mentor, imitate. Now, ladies, here's what I know you're thinking. This is good stuff. My husband needs a mentor in his life bad. Honey, do you hear what John is saying up there? You need a mentor. You have no idea how to love a woman. You have no idea how to parent our kids. You have no idea how to act at home or work. It's a good thing all this imitating stuff is written for men because they need it. And they do. We do. To which Paul would say when he wrote to Titus, guide older women into lives of reverence so they end up as neither gossips nor drunks. But... That's kind of funny, actually, right? But models of goodness. 
And listen to this. By looking at them, by looking at them, the younger women will know how to love their husbands and children, be virtuous and pure, keep a good house, and be good wives. Now, here's my question for where do you think that the writer of Proverbs in the Old Testament and Paul in the New Testament, the writer to, to, the, to the Hebrews, Timothy, where do you think they got the idea of humbling yourself and submitting to modeling, mentoring, and imitation? I mean, it would have to be from someone with an attitude of just breathtaking humility, wouldn't it? Because this example would have had to really stick out to them. It would have, been, it would have had to have been a model of, 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 of mentoring so crazy, like someone who actually did know it all, yet who humbly decided to live a life of discipleship. Somebody who really didn't need a mentor, somebody who could disciple but chose to, to be discipled. Now that would stick out to you. I mean, that would be a crazy attitude of humility, so stunning, it might cause you to think that you might need to watch how others lived so that you could live like that. Where would these writers, over all of these years, where would they get such a countercultural crazy idea like this? So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, this is Jesus. The Son of God can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does also. Jesus, although in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Jesus imitates the Father. And then Paul imitates Jesus. And Timothy imitates Paul. And so I have to ask you a question. Here it is. It is not, are you imitating anyone? You are imitating someone. You are following someone's example. We all are. Here's the question. The real question is that we have to wrestle with. Who are you imitating? Whose example are you following? Who have you maybe unknowingly allowed to be a de facto mentor for you? And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to humble myself a little bit and answer that question publicly for you guys and show you what this biblical concept of imitation and modeling has meant for me and my wife and my marriage and my kids and our church and my relationship with God because I'm going to introduce you to my mentor. Some of you know him. Gary Borcherding served here at Mendham Hills. Um, he was part of our church for 18 years. Many of those years he served as head elder of the church. In the time we spent together leading, I got to know Gary pretty well. I was just like a young buck, and here was Gary, this kind of older man in the faith. And, uh, and in the beginning, I thought to myself, this guy's got to be a huge phony. There's no way that somebody could actually be like this. He, he appeared to me to be the used car salesman of Christianity, right? Oh, see, that's two weeks in a row. <laughs> I have a very dear friend that's a used car salesman. <laughs> but anyway, but that's what he appeared to. I'm just going, you know, I can't believe that he actually could be this way. It's too good to be true. But then over time, I started to go, this guy is actually the most authentic follower of Jesus. Not perfect and sometimes wrong, but the most authentic follower of Jesus I've ever met. 
And so uh, what I want to do in our remaining time here is share our relationship with you and then let you hear uh, some of his wisdom. Would you like to hear some wisdom? Maybe be open to a teachable spirit. Welcome Gary Borchening up to the stage with me. So Gary and I, uh, here, we're going to do, since it's church and we can't, we can't do wine like Hoda and Kathy Lee, we're going to do coffee. Um, so, uh, so Gary's, I made Gary, I humbled myself and made Gary coffee this morning. And what I want to do is share with you guys over the next few minutes, we don't have all that much time, um, our relationship and uh, what, we, what I have learned from him. And we're going to get right at it because we're already running late. Here's the first question. You're, something wrong, Timmy? Oh, thank you. You're always a step ahead. Um, Gary taught me to love my wife. He's taught me a lot of things. He taught me to love my wife. And I didn't know, I didn't know how to love my wife until I watched him loving his wife. There's a picture of um, Caleb and I were on a college tour. Gary and Jan live in North Carolina, and we had breakfast together one morning. That's a picture. I don't even know if you know that's out there. But... Yeah, I'm afraid it is. <laughs> uh, Gary and Jan have been married for? 48. 48 years. Um, Jan and Gary are not soulmates. In fact, Jan is very different than Gary. And over the last 15 years at least, Jan has suffered um, all kinds of, of illnesses. I mean, if you can get it, Jan has had it. And unfortunately, in many ways, it has taken its toll mentally, physically, emotionally. Um, and a lot of day days, Jan can't get out of the bedroom. This is the most type A extroverted person you have ever met in your life. And I remember sitting on the phone with him one day. Gary and I talk. We try to talk every other week. And uh, at one point, I thought to myself, how do you love this woman? She holds you back from everything. I'd be going nuts. Um, and he told me how he loved her. And I said, when he got done, I said, I'm such a pathetic loser. <laughs> like, um, so would I... Let's dump, jump into five minutes on how, what marriage looks like and how you love somebody. Teach them what you taught me. First, I want to tell you, John, and all of you how excited. Uh, I knew it would be emotional. <laughs> <laughs> how excited uh, I am to be here this morning. And Jan wishes she could be and sends hugs and loves. And those of you who have been hugged by her, you know that that means a lot. Mm -hmm. But uh, God brought us here in 1992 and taught us so much and loved us so well through so many of you. Uh, we received and got the things that we were looking for and longing for in a church here in those 18 years. So it's just wonderful, wonderful to be back. Um, I have been learning even more so in recent years to learn to ask Jesus all the time to help me to love Jan. What, what should I say? What should I do here? How, how, do we, how do I walk with her and understand her? And uh, help me, Jesus, I, I cannot love agape. I cannot love unconditionally, but you can. So enable me to do what I want to do but can't do. And he does that. Uh, there are so many times when there are issues that uh, that we're dealing with, that I just say, Jesus, um, what do I say here? What do I do? And a lot of times it's just be quiet and listen and sit with her. Um, so that, the, the, the intimacy of a relationship with Jesus and talking to him and believing that he will talk to me and listening 
um, in, in giving me guidance. Uh, another thing that has been crucial for both of us over the years is just accepting each other for who God made us to be, for the, to, to understand, to seek to know the, the passions, the, the dreams uh, that he has put into each of our hearts uniquely. And like you said, we're very, very different. When we were early married, uh, we took a, a personality test, and it was the Taylor Johnson temperament analysis. Some of you that are close to my age may remember that one or not. Anyhow, it had nine uh, polls that tested uh, the, the, the character of, um, of the individuals. And one of those polls was active, social, and quiet. And you can already guess from what John has said who scored where. You know, Gary's up here at 98% and Jan's at four. And that was when she was healthy. And that was when she was healthy. And the Taylor Johnson people got it wrong because they said that this was really good and boy, if you're down here in the white, you really needed to get better. And I knew that. I knew she needed to be more like me. <laughs> and I, I, I worked on that. You know, for, <laughs> for, I worked some, on that for 20 years. <laughs> yeah, to, 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 to try to help her. And, and the, the crazy thing is, see, Jan is by nature very introverted. Many of you who knew her here, you, you're saying, she's what? Because she gives so much of herself. She doesn't take care of herself, she takes care of you. And, and she did that so well for so many years and in the process completely burned out her adrenals. I mean, burned them out. No cortisol flowing out of those adrenals. So stress has become, for 20 years or so, just a, a, a horrible thing, you know, for her. Being with two or three people can be stressful. And, excuse me, so in the last 10, 15 years, we've really come to understand and accept that introversion, extroversion. And now but it's, doesn't it's okay. This, doesn't it tick you off that... So you, you have all these things that God has called you to do. You have all these plans, all these dreams, all these hopes. I mean, I don't want to break it to you. You don't have that much time left, right? So you, you want to get on with the things that God is calling you to, right? And this woman he gave you, yeah. right, she is, she is not permitting you to do what you want to do, what you feel like you were born to do. And, and oh, but so she is. Oh, but she is. She may not be able to physically be with me here this morning. She's in the hotel. Um, and just unable to be here. Got worn out at the graduation yesterday for our son-in-law. Um, but her spirit is very um, happy. Her faith is strong. And she sends me out. She sent me here this morning happily for how, God, how God's wired me up and what he's called me to do. There are four different ministries that I'm involved in. We're retiring, right? He's called me into four different ministries. But she cramps your style. No. Yes, she does. Uh, no, I don't look at it that way. I don't, I don't See, look. he's so frustrating, right? Because I'm telling the truth up here, and he refuses to, to give it. The, the reality is, right, one of the things you taught me was, in order for there to be love, somebody needs to be willing to die. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and she does that relationship to me all the time. And listen, I'm not out with people. We, don't have, we haven't had anybody into our home for a meal for I don't know how many years. But you love that. I know. I, I know. <laughs> I do. But I've given that up, and it's okay. Um, so uh, uh, accepting her the limitations, the physics she needs. She's got a very bad leaking aortic heart valve. She just doesn't have any cert, any energy. That's going to need to be replaced pretty soon. And being peopled out, I'm telling you, 
Jesus has just said, okay, that's okay, right? Because you do what I've called you to do, and you get home, buddy. You get home and sit down with her, and we're starting to read books together that we had never done. Now, you weren't always like this. You used That's to get right. ticked off. Oh, I, I did. I did. I would be frustrated. I would try to subtly but surely manipulate her and try to guilt her, you know, if uh, she didn't come down for a, a small group in our home when, when we lived here. And, oh, come on, honey. You know, people want to see you. No more. No more. I mean, Jesus has... There, I've always said, I hope I'm still growing spiritually when I draw the last breath. And there's just been a lot of growth in these last years. All right, parenting. Um, you taught me about uh, one of the things, I, and I use it at church all the time. The Christian world teaches you if you do A and you do B, you get C. That's the way parenting works. Um, it doesn't work that way, does it? Um, no. <laughs> no. You know, Jan and I talked, thank you for giving me the categories you wanted us to talk about, because that gave Jan and me a chance to to talk uh, about all of these things. And I said, so honey, what, what shall I say about parenting? And she said, well, just say, we got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there's the story of the fellow who uh, uh, had uh, the first child and he had his plan on how he's gonna raise them. And by the fifth child, he had his fifth plan. And uh, that reminded Jan and me of when our first son, when our son was born. And uh, it turns out he was very colicky for six months. So the first three weeks go by. I had the attitude before he was born, this, any kid that's going to be born in this house, well, they're really lucky. I'm going to be a great dad. <laughs> lucky kids. I, I thought the same. Yeah, so, yeah, so three weeks in, uh, you know, in the middle of one night, Jan can't handle anymore getting up every two hours to take care of this kid. And she says, honey, would you mind going? And I thought, oh, to the rescue. So, you know, I go in. I was take waiting him. for you to ask. Yeah, yeah. Go in, take him out of the crib, start patting. 45 minutes later, I'm ready to choke the kid. Uh, uh, and it, that just dispelled all of that, you know, great dad stuff and many, many more stories since then. So um, we need to be the things that, that Jan and I have learned over the years is the importance of being students of our children, asking God to show us how have you bent them? The, the, you know, the, the Old Testament um, proverb says, train up a child in the way they should go. That's not an evangelism thing. That's learn how the child is bent. How did God make them uniquely? Are they extroverts or are they introverts? What are their passions? What are, what are the things that God's put into to their lives? And train them in that way the best you can. And, um, and then another you know, key thing with, with parenting is loving with grace and not law. Law leads to performance. Uh, there's a family that we know where the mom regularly will say uh, to the children, oh, it would make mommy so happy, or you've made mommy so happy by doing this, or if you would do that, well, what happens if you don't do this or that? Then mommy's unhappy. So that has created uh, a, a horrific performance mentality, so much so that one of the girls in that family who's a sophomore in college and ready to come home doesn't want to go home. She doesn't want to go back in jump to, to, yeah, to, to, to have to jump, jump through all that stuff. Uh, discipline's still important, but to do that in a way that it's not punishment, that, it, that is God disciplines us, Hebrews 12, very clear on that. Um, and we have like gonna, one minute left. We really screwed this up. Listen. So here's the deal. Uh, I want you to talk about following Jesus. Yeah. Because that's what we spend most of our time talking about. Yeah, it is. Because you're further down the road than me, so you help me find my way a little bit. Well, the church can keep us from Jesus. Uh, church can, can ask us to do so many things and suggest so many things that actually keep us from connecting with Jesus. He wants 
Jesus said in John 4:23 that if you obey me and you love me, I'll love you, the Father will love you, and we will come and make our home in your heart. That's a pretty intimate thing of Jesus and the Father coming and making his home. And then Paul carries that on in Colossians 1.29, where he says, the things that I'm doing, I'm doing it by your energy, which so powerfully works within me. So if, there, if there's a, a word that I would want to leave and encourage, it would be for each one of us, each one of us, to continue to want to know Jesus better. That's what uh, Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 1, that the believers would know the Father. I want to know, know Christ and the fellowship is it. What you were singing it, saying Because you it. can know him. Your testimony is that he is not distant, but you can know him. Oh, he will. You remember the night, 9 o'clock, when your phone rang and I called, and he had kind of put a prompt in my heart that said, hey, call John. This was a few years ago, and you picked up and said, how did you know? So he really does. He really does that. He does that in relationships. So um, that. All right, we're going to work on this a second uh, service. We have more time. But, yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. I, I just have. I'm going to take one more minute. You Hurry. better go because I'm going to lose my children's ministry volunteers. Hurry. All right. I won't. No, say it. Give it to me. Um, it, it's just uh, in, in, in church. It's so easy and in homes to to have our rules, and one of them uh, has to do with language, or there are certain words that you can't say. I understand, understand the commandment uh, of, uh, of not taking the Lord's name in vain, but ultimately, don't worry about the words, don't worry about the language. Um, it's the heart that God is after, and as he changes the heart, that'll, that'll change the language. There was a couple here, 1992, when we were in small group, Rick and Anya Smith. A few of you might remember Rick and Anya Smith. And you're talking about the religious fog here, which is more yeah. concerned about just clean up their language, because yeah. that's what God cares about, is yeah. their language. Yeah, and, and Rick would come in every week and F-bombs and, and everything else, and at first, you know, <laughs> but people just didn't care, and they loved him. And, and, and he hated to sing. He said, I don't want to sing. I hate singing. And he'd go out of the room always saying, today, Rick and Anya, to my knowledge, are still missionaries uh, in England. And they've just given their hearts wholly to the Lord. I suppose the language is cleaned up, but I really don't care about that. And I've got other stories on that. But come back, that, that's an example. Come back second service that's if you like example. more of these. Here's the point to this. He could be up here all day. I found a man, just like Paul said, I watched, I considered his life. I looked at it, and I said... I see Christ in it, and I can follow that, and I can imitate it. And it changed my marriage, it changed the way I parent my kids, it changed the way I follow Christ, it changed the way I lead a church. I could go on and on. This is not a joke. You want to change your life, you want to be like Jesus, fix your eyes on Jesus, and get a model. Get an imitator. Begin to imitate, and then begin to model it for someone else. We're back in the last song. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, how great are you? That And you don't have, Lord, the amazing thing about you is I would be saying, no, everybody just fix your eyes on me only because I want all of your eyeballs and I want all of the glory and I need every, and yet you say, no, 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 fix your eyes on me, but find somebody that's following me and follow them. Lord, would you move in our hearts so that we believe that and help everybody here to start thinking about being an imitator of a man or woman of Christ and becoming a mentor, a model living in such a way that others would look at them and say, I want to follow that. We ask it in the great name of Jesus Christ, our King, our Lord, our Savior. Amen. Thank Gary, would you? I love you, man. Love you, too. I'll see you next week, man.